0: Appendix 5. Do souls go to heaven? The witness of the early church to the state of the dead and the kingdom. While the Jehovah's Witnesses and others are labelled cultists because they say that the, quote, soul does not go to heaven when a person dies, the records of early church history are testimony to the fact that so-called orthodoxy is the real culprit. Did the early church teach the separation of a conscious soul from its body at the moment of death and its immediate departure to heaven? I'm not here discussing the condition of the soul, as church fathers understand it, but the question of its immediate location at death. Here are the words of Irenaeus of the mid-second century. Irenaeus complains that some are distorting the biblical program of resurrection. Some who are reckoned among the Orthodox go beyond the prearranged plan for the exaltation of the just and are ignorant of the methods by which they are disciplined beforehand for incorruption. They thus entertain heretical opinions. For the heretics, not admitting the salvation of their flesh, affirm that immediately upon their death they will pass above the heavens i note that it is the quote heretics who teach that the soul goes immediately to heaven at death today according to present orthodoxy it is the heretics who teach that souls do not go immediately to heaven or hell those persons therefore who reject a resurrection affecting the whole man and do their best to remove it from the Christian scheme, know nothing as to the plan of resurrection. For they do not choose to understand that if these things are as they say, the Lord himself, in whom they profess to believe, did not rise again on the third day, but immediately upon his expiring departed on high, leaving his body in the earth. But the facts are that for three days the Lord dwelt in the place where the dead were, as Jonas remained three days and three nights in the whale's belly. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. David says, when prophesying of him, Thou hast delivered my soul from the nethermost hell, the grave, that is. And on rising the third day he said to Mary, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. John 20, verse 17. How then must not these men be put to confusion, who allege that their inner man, the soul, leaving the body here, ascends into the super-celestial place? I add this, Irenaeus thus reckons today's teaching as shameful. For as the Lord, quote, went away in the midst of the shadow of death, Psalm 23, verse 4, where the souls of the dead were, and afterwards arose in the body, and after the resurrection was taken up into heaven, it is obvious that the souls of his disciples also will go away into the invisible place, Hades, and there remain until the resurrection awaiting that event. Then receiving their bodies and rising in their entirety bodily, Just as the Lord rose, they will come thus into the presence of God. As our Master did not at once take flight to heaven, but awaited the time of his resurrection, so we ought also to await the time of our resurrection. Inasmuch, therefore, as the opinions of certain orthodox persons are derived from heretical discourses, they are both ignorant of God's dispensations of the mystery of the resurrection of the just, and of the earthly kingdom, which is the beginning of incorruption. By means of this kingdom, those who will be worthy are accustomed gradually to partake of the divine nature. That's from Irenaeus' Against Heresies, Book 5. Irenaeus thus condemns the whole, quote, orthodox tradition about what happens at death the tradition, that is, which eventually swamped the biblical teaching from the 3rd century onwards. The protest of Justin Martyr against what later became so-called orthodoxy, and remains so to this day, is no less incisive. They who maintain the wrong opinion say that there is no resurrection of the flesh, as in the case of a yoke of oxen, if one or other is loosed from the yoke, Neither of them can plough alone. So neither can soul or body alone effect anything if they are unyoked from their communion. That is, the soul can have no separate active existence. For what is man but the reasonable animal composed of body and soul? Is the soul by itself man? No. But the soul of man? Would the body be called man? No but is called the body of man. If then neither of these is by itself man, but that which is made up of the two together is called man, and God has called man to life and resurrection, he has called not a part, but the whole, which is the soul and body. Well, they say, the soul is incorruptible, being a part of God and inspired by him. Then what thanks are due to him, God, and what manifestation of his power and goodness is it if he purposed to save what is by nature saved? But no thanks are due to one who saves what is his own, for this is to save himself. How then did Christ raise the dead, their souls or their bodies? Manifestly both. If the resurrection were only spiritual, it was requisite that he, in raising the dead, should show the body lying apart by itself and the soul living apart by itself. But now he did not do so, but he raised the body. Why do we any longer endure those unbelieving arguments and fail to see that we are retrograding when we listen to such an argument as this, that the soul is immortal? but the body mortal and incapable of being revived. For this we used to hear from Plato, even before we learned the truth. If then the Saviour said this and proclaimed salvation to the soul alone, what new thing beyond what we heard from Plato did he bring us? That's from Justin Martyr's Dialogue with Trifo, chapter 80. Justin thus implies that teaching an immediate survival of the soul in heaven or hell is Platonism, not Christianity. Justin is here refuting the arguments of Gnosticism, which denied the resurrection of the flesh. Traditional Christianity has taken a similar but slightly different tack by including in the creed a belief in the resurrection of the body, while also teaching an immediate salvation of the soul alone in a conscious disembodied state. This is said to be the real person, albeit disembodied. Such an idea is flatly contradicted by Justin and Irenaeus and is identified by them as pagan. Present-day so-called orthodoxy is thus partly Gnostic and pagan. Justin Martyr, Dialogue with Trypho on the Millennium. Trypho says, Do you really admit that this place, Jerusalem, will be rebuilt? And do you expect your people to be gathered together and made joyful with Christ and the patriarchs? Justin says, I and many others are of that opinion and believe that this will take place, as you are assuredly aware. But on the other hand, I signify to you that many who belong, and that word belong there, a number of commentators believe that the text has been corrupted here and that Justin in fact wrote who do not belong. The alteration was made to make Justin less condemning of our millennialism. Moreover, I pointed out to you that some who are called Christians But our godless impious heretics teach doctrines that are in every way blasphemous atheistical and foolish i choose to follow not men or men's teachings but god and the doctrines delivered by him for if you have fallen in with some who are called christians who do not admit the truth of the resurrection who say that there's no resurrection of the dead And that their souls when they die are taken to heaven do not imagine that they are christians but i and others who are right-minded christians on all points are assured that there'll be a resurrection of the dead and a thousand years in jerusalem which will then be built adorned and enlarged as the prophets ezekiel isaiah and others declare we have perceived moreover that the expression, the day of the Lord, is connected with this subject. And further, there was a certain man with us, whose name was John, one of the apostles of Christ, who prophesied by a revelation that was made to him that those who believed in our Christ would dwell a thousand years in Jerusalem, and that thereafter the general and eternal resurrection of all men would take place. Justin's Statement on the Intermediate State, the full form of it, around 150 A.D. I quote, For if you have fallen in with some who are called Christians, but who do not admit the truth of the resurrection and venture to blaspheme the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who say that there is no resurrection of the dead, and that their souls, when they die, are taken to heaven, do not imagine that they are Christians just as one, if he would rightly consider it, would not admit that the Sadducees or similar sects of the Geniste, Meriste, Galileans, Hellenists, Pharisees, Baptists are Jews, but are only called Jews, worshipping God with the lips, as God declared, but the heart was far from him. But I and others... Who are right minded Christians on all points are assured that there will be a resurrection of the dead and a thousand years in Jerusalem, which will then be built and enlarged as the prophets Ezekiel and Isaiah and others declare. The Latin Church Father Tertullian, often known as the Father of Western Christianity, is another who would disagree strongly with the modern so-called orthodoxy about what happens to the soul at death. He protested against the idea that the soul leaves the body at death and goes to heaven. Here's the quotation from Tertullian. Plato dispatches at once to heaven such souls as he pleases. To the question whether the soul is withdrawn at death, we now give the answer. The Stoics place only their own souls, that is, the souls of the wise, in the mansions above. Plato, it is true, does not allow this destination to all the souls indiscriminately, of even all the philosophers, but only those who have cultivated their philosophy out of love to boys. That's to say, homosexuals. In this system, then, the souls of the wise are carried up on high into the ether. All other souls they thrust down to Hades. More from Tertullian. By ourselves, the lower regions of Hades are not supposed to be a bare cavity, nor some subterranean sewer of the world, but a vast deep space in the interior of the earth, and a concealed recess in its very bowels, inasmuch as we read that Christ in his death spent three days in the heart of the earth, that is, in the secret inner recess which is hidden in the earth and enclosed by the earth, and superimposed on the abysmal depths which lie still lower down. Now although Christ is God, yet being also man, he died according to the scriptures and according to the same scriptures, was buried. With the same law of his being, he fully complied by remaining in Hades in the form and condition of a dead man. Nor did he ascend into the heights of heaven before descending into the lower parts of the earth, that he might there make the patriarchs and prophets partakers of himself. And I add this, nothing is said in the bible about jesus altering the condition of the patriarchs while he was in hades that was my comment there this being the case Totalion goes on you must suppose hades to be a subterranean region and keep at arm's length those who are too proud to believe that the souls of the faithful deserve a place in the lower regions these persons who are so-called servants above their Lord and disciples above their master, would no doubt spurn to receive the comfort of the resurrection, if they must expect it in Abraham's bosom. But it was for this purpose, they say, that Christ descended into hell, that we might not ourselves have to descend thither. Well then, they say, what difference is there between heathens and Christians? if the same prison awaits them all when dead. But I say, and this is Tertullian speaking, how indeed will the soul mount up to heaven, where Christ is already sitting at the Father's right hand, when as yet the archangel's trumpet has not been heard by the command of God, when as yet those whom the coming of the Lord is to find on the earth have not been caught up into the air to meet him at his coming in company with the dead in Christ, who will be the first to rise. He's referring there to first Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen to eighteen To no one is heaven opened when the world indeed will pass away, then the kingdom of heaven will be opened. That's from Tertullian's treatise. On the soul another church father hippolytus around 170 to 236 certainly did not think that souls were in heaven but now we must speak of hades in which the souls both of the righteous and the unrighteous are detained he apparently knew nothing of the liberation of hades i add that comment the righteous will obtain the incorruptible and unfading kingdom, those indeed are at present detained in Hades, but not in the same place with the unrighteous. Thus far then on the subject of Hades, in which the souls of all are detained until the time God has determined, and then he will accomplish a resurrection of all, not by transferring souls, into other bodies, but by raising the bodies themselves. That's from Hippolytus against Plato on the cause of the universe. Modern scholars realize that the view of death, which has prevailed and is now promoted in church constantly, is not biblical. Far from it. It is, amazingly, actually pagan and gnostic. Moreover, as the above quotations from the early Apologies for Christianity show, the idea of going to heaven or hellfire immediately at death was a novel heretical doctrine not taught by the Church for some 300 years after Christ. In a standard modern text of Christian dogmatics, we read, I quote, The Hellenization process by which Christianity adopted many Greek pagan thought patterns Led in a different direction as the eschatological hope came to be expressed in Hellenistic categories. Irenaeus said, It is manifest that the souls of the disciples also, upon whose account the Lord underwent these things, will go away in the invisible place allotted to them by God and there remain until the resurrection, awaiting. That event. Then, receiving their bodies and rising in their entirety, that is bodily, just as the Lord rose, they will come into the presence of God. Irenaeus' statement contains the concept of an abode or purgatory in which the soul of the dead remains until the universal resurrection. We should not denounce this as a deviation from biblical teaching, Mm -hmm. since the point of the assertion is anti-gnostic. Irenaeus wanted to reject the gnostic idea that at the end of this earthly life, the soul immediately ascends to its heavenly abode. As the early fathers fought the pagan idea that a part of the human person is simply immortal, It was important for them to assert that there is no rectilinear ascent to God. Once we die, life is over. That's from Bratton and Jensen, Christian Dogmatics, Volume 2. That section was written by Hans Schwarz, professor of Protestant theology at the University of Regensburg, Germany. There is a further impressive protest against the popular idea that the dead survive as conscious souls in heaven. One might expect that such protest would initiate a wide-scale reform amongst the clergy. Alan Richardson writes in a theological wordbook of the Bible, I quote, The Bible writers, holding fast to the conviction that the created order owes its existence to the wisdom and love of God and is therefore essentially good, could not conceive of life after death as a disembodied existence. And I add, as millions of sincere believers are now taught in church to think of it, we will not be found naked, Alan Richardson goes on to quote Second Corinthians 5, verse 3, but as a renewal under conditions of the intimate unity of body and soul, which was human life as they knew it. Hence death... Was thought of as the death of the whole man. And such phrases as freedom from death, imperishability, or immortality could only properly be used to describe what is meant by the phrase eternal, all living God, who only has immortality, as we read in 1 Timothy 6, verse 16. Man does not possess within himself the quality of deathlessness, but must, if he is to overcome the destructive power of death, he must receive it as the gift of God who, quote, raised Christ from the dead and put death aside like a covering garment. First Corinthians 15, verse 53. It is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that this possibility for man as in 2 Timothy 1, verse 10, has been brought to life and the hope confirmed that the corruption, Romans 11, verse 7, which is a universal feature of human life, will be effectively overcome. The fundamental confusion about life after death, which has so permeated traditional Christianity, is brilliantly described by Dr. Paul Althaus in his book the theology of Martin Luther. I quote, The hope of the early church centred on the resurrection of the last day. It is this which first calls the dead into eternal life. First Corinthians 15, Philippians 3, verse 21. This resurrection happens to the man and not only to the body. Paul speaks of the resurrection not of the body, but of the dead. This understanding of the resurrection implicitly understands death as also affecting the whole man. Thus, in traditional orthodoxy, the original biblical concepts have been replaced by ideas from Hellenistic-Gnostic dualism. The New Testament idea of the resurrection, which affects the whole man, has had to give way to the immortality of the soul. The last day also loses its significance, for souls have received all that is decisively important long before this. Eschatological tension is no longer strongly directed to the day of Jesus' coming. The difference between this and the hope of the New Testament is very great. That's from Paul Althaus' book on the theology of Martin Luther. That difference may be witnessed in contemporary preaching at funerals, which, though claiming the Bible as its source, reflects a pagan Platonism which the New Testament, the early church fathers, and modern informed scholars reject. Can belief in pagan ideas promoted in the name of Jesus result in a knowledge of the truth which leads to salvation? Is not this obvious paganism of Christianity a cause for alarm and a reason for returning to the truth of the Bible? We conclude with the following comments of the well-known German theologian Jürgen Moltmann. In the degree to which Christianity cut itself off from its Hebrew roots, and acquired Hellenistic and Roman form, it, first of all, lost its eschatological, that is, future kingdom on earth, hope. Number two, gave up its apocalyptic solution for this world of violence and death. Number three, merged into late antiquity's Gnostic religion of salvation. From Justin, 150 AD onward, one, most of the fathers revered Plato as a Christian before Christ. Number two, God's eternity now took the place of God's future. Incarnation, with a capital I, made everyone look back into eternity instead of forward to the creation of the Son of God at his begetting by the Father in Mary, his resurrection and future coming to rule in the kingdom. Thirdly, heaven replaced the coming kingdom. Fourthly, the pagan idea of redemption of the soul from the body replaced the spirit as the source of life. Fifthly, the immortality of the soul displaced the resurrection of the whole man, of the body. And sixthly, people hoped for the soul's escape from the body. That's from the book, The Spirit of Life.